Hello and welcome to Note Up. I'm Dee Shaw and today I'm joined by Rich Trott. Hi. And Jeremiah Sankpeel. Hello. Did I butcher that, Jeremiah? I didn't even ask no, you. No, not really. Sankpeel. 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 No one knows Jeremiah as Sankpeel. Everyone knows Jeremiah as, as Fish Rock or Fish Rock 123. It's another Dee Shaw thing, so this is actually Fish Rock. Is that better? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and today's note up is sponsored by CodeShip, Lip Security, and Anjet. We've got an exciting note up for you today, and we're going to be talking about the new shape of Node Core, rebaptized the Node Technical Steering Committee. Before we get into it, let's go ahead and have Rich and Jeremiah introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Jeremiah Sinkfield, again, aka Fishrock123. I may or may not be a fish. You can find my fish icon on Twitter and GitHub, though. I'm an ODTSC member, and I try to be friendly about all this stuff. And, um, so if you need anything from like the Node TSC, feel free to contact me. Hi, I'm Rich Trott. I am a software journalist and an all-around swell guy. And I try to do what I can with Node, and I follow it pretty closely and contribute when I can. Awesome. And I'm Dan Shaw, D. Shaw, and a co-founder and president of NodeSource, the enterprise Node.js company. Well, it's, it's great to be back. I've been noting up a little bit too, a little for my taste, but Rod and company have been really you know, driving Node up forward. I've got Rich lined up to potentially be doing some, some new episodes coming into the future around onboarding and, and some of the cool stuff that's happening around Node Core. Really exciting, looking to expand that community podcasting and really bring in new voices and you know, make sure we, we keep the community broadcast alive as I grow Node Source and do businessy things. Before we get into it, let's break real quick for our first sponsor, CodeChip. CodeChip is a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports your GitHub and Bitbucket projects, and you can get started with their free plan. CodeShip also just launched a new feature, Organizations. With CodeShip's new Organizations plans, you can create teams, set permissions for specific team members, improve collaboration, and maintain centralized control over your organization's projects and teams. You can save 20% off of any premium plan for the next three months by using this code, NOTEUP. Head over to codeship.com slash NOTEUP to get started and be sure to follow them on Twitter at CodeShip. All right, and we're back. Let's dive in. Both Jeremiah and Rich are relatively new members of Node and, and the Technical Steering Committee and the, the community. I want to have Jeremiah just sort of introduce his participation in Node Core and what it's been like so far, where he's been active, and why he got started with being active in Core. I started um, a decent while ago now, actually. I, I'd always sort of like, you know, followed happenings around Node Core and sort of what was going on, but there wasn't like a clear way, or didn't really seem like there was any way to get involved, really. And stuff kind of slowed down after 0.10. Around that time, I had gotten sort of inadvertently pulled into already like partially maintaining Express. And then when I'd heard sort of through that, because when you maintain a large node project, I feel like you, you kind of hear about some things that go on. <laughs> and at that time, heard like there was sort of like this node forward thing, but and Doug Wilson had heard about it, but 
wasn't really too interested and I didn't really know what it was and I was like, eh, I'm not sure. Let's just wait it out and see what happens with it. And then, what was it, last year this time? So like 2014, October-ish, the Node Forward like initiative sort of really picked up and with Michael pushing it forward and I'm not sure who else was around that really started to push that forward. And so I picked up on that that really quickly because it was like, oh, this is from Node Core people, sort of. And, you know, it seems like there might be a way to actually get involved here. And then, like, they forked Node, of course, and there was, like, some turmoil there. And I ended up being in back channels, bugging Ben and, I think, like, Fedor, and I'm not sure who else to, like, the recordings of the meetings from the node forward time could be published, but there was like yeah. iffy business there sort of out of that. Cause none of that, that could be published under the name node at the time. IOJS came out of that and then I got involved with that more and I helped get the IOJS website website up and then started like actually contributing to issue tracker needs when, when there was them. And that's, I think a lot partially because that's, what I sort of did with Express a lot is help out on the issue tracker, and that's something that like doesn't really, you know, bug me that much. I kind of li- kind of like doing that, and then just from there, it just like snowballed, and now I I touch like core modules and fill with them and fix timers and and on this Node TSC thing, and to help all the other people who are who don't know how to get involved, hopefully get involved. Jeremiah's being honest. He, he has one of the sort of most active insights across the project between he and Rod. There are a lot of the core members that are specialized in one area or another, but Jeremiah really has great optics across the, the project. Great. Thank you, Jeremiah. Rich, do you want to introduce us to, to your story and how you got involved in the project? Sure. So I, like a lot of people, have been using a lot of Node stuff and writing writing some Node things for my work and my hobbies and side projects and whatnot. And when the fork happened, when IOJS happened, and one of the messages that was sort of, you know, coming out from Node Forward and whatnot was, you know, we're, we want it to be easier for people to collaborate, for people to, to contribute to the project. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of sometimes referred to myself as the open source copy editor in that I will submit pull requests correcting, like, you know, adding Oxford commas to people's readme files and whatnot. <laughs> so, you know, I care a lot about Node. I can totally do this. And then I started digging into code and looking through the issue tracker and it just kind of snowballed. And I, you know, I added some minor features and did everything wrong at first, but because of the patience and kind help of Jeremiah, among others, Brendan Ashworth was really great, and Chris Dickinson was really helpful to me too as well. You know, after that, I don't know, just been involved ever since. You know, since we're going to be talking about onboarding, I got a rare glimpse into the making of the sausage that is onboarding, in that I believe Chris had been doing it pretty much solo, and he was going to train uh, Jeremiah to do it. Yeah, Chris Dickinson was doing it, and he was, and Jeremiah was like, "Hey, I'll help out. I'll do it." And so Chris showed Jeremiah how to do it at NodeConf, and the person that they, was their guinea pig was me. So I was sitting between them as they were talking about what was and wasn't working. So that was that was pretty cool. My so, onboarding training was like again, like at NodeConf, like in person. Chris Dickinson onboarding Rich Trot. So 
you know, a brief history of onboarding in Node Core. Historically, we, we've had kind of a, a light, almost no process, let's just say no process, a light duty mentorship flow where you know, someone would come in, be active and be able to be contributing more regularly and would, would eventually find a mentor. Ryan Dahl mentored Isaac Schluter, who eventually became the lead of the project. And another big example is Trevor Norris coming in and being mentored by Ben Nordhaus. Both of those core contributors really grew up in this mentorship process. Let's take a quick break for a spot and we'll come back and, and talk a bit about the, the new shape of Node Core, of the Technical Steering Committee, and of some of the really amazing working groups and ways to, to participate in the, the Node projects, you know, post uh, IOGES, one of the, the great things that came out of IOGES. So let's take a break for Lyft Security. RequireSafe is Lyft Security's latest offering to the Node Security world. If you haven't heard, Lyft Security created the Node Security Project to audit all of the modules in NPM. The Node community has since grown exponentially to where the NPM registry contains roughly 160,000 modules today. The problem RequireSafe aims to solve is, whose code are you running in production? To clarify just that, RequireSafe offers dedicated resources looking after their third-party code for subscribers, early warning and recommendations for remediation for when an issue is identified, documentation for developers on common gotchas when using certain modules, integration with your deployment and CI tools. As sensitive vulnerabilities become resolved in public, this info will be made available to the community at large. RequireSafe is currently available in beta. To check it out, visit requiresafe.com. If you're interested in hearing more about Lyft's auditing services, or want to bring a security-first mindset to your team's development process, contact the Lyft team at liftsecurity.io or at liftsecurity on Twitter. And we're back. All right, so we're, we're going to talk about the Technical Steering Committee and working groups, the concept that sprang out of IOJS. You know, one of the beautiful things that happened with IOJS is in response, you know, Jeremiah and Rich both mentioned Node Forward, in response to that frustration with the dwindling contributorship, the Node.js project and our inability to engage and uh, bring in more contributors, with IOGS, there was an explicit invitation for contributors to be a part of the project and you know, a growing understanding that Node is much more than just the, the core development process. It's a website, evangelism. There was an effort to translate the, the docs into a number of languages and, and we developed internationalization groups around that. It's really transformed, and there are an incredible number of ways beyond being a core hacker that you can really be a part of the Node.js project and help move it forward. So, Jeremiah, you're on the TSC. Could you describe what the Technical Steering Committee is and how it's different, maybe, from Node Core that we're familiar with in the past? In the past, there's usually only been like one main person ever, so like a couple of years from like Ryan and then Isaac and then sort of TJ, where those people have mostly led the project and have been like also served as like the final arbitrator if like we don't know what to do, but we need to do something, what should we do? And those people would sort of step in with the direction they thought the project should go in. And now the TSC is one of the, one of its primary things is that if the collaborator group 
on like some issue or some PR can't figure out what they should do with it. They can, and it's either stalled or you know maybe some some conflicts of like opinions or something. They can bring that to the TSC, and then the TSC can sit down in like an actual voice call meeting and be like, okay, we need to do something about this. You know, let's do something about this. And TSC members are usually people who have time so that they can do the the weekly TSC call and, you know, not necessarily more, but like on average, probably a lot of experience with core. So they, they understand the past directions and how a lot of different moving parts play together in a certain decision. So that's one main thing about the TSC. And then the other is that the TSC is actually basically the governing body for projects in general in inside of the new Node Foundation. So when the Node Foundation was created, it's actually been drafted so that the Technical Steering Committee has the governance to like bring in other projects if that was necessary or to do anything decision-wise around core so that that's separated from any board stuff, which deals mostly with marketing and just allocation of resources to the TSC. So it's, it's quite important, and we've also been able to, to grow the TSC quite a bit from when it started, so we have a decent amount of uh, new people, and it stretches, I think, almost halfway around the world of, of people that we have. So, <laughs> Right on. If you just take the sample of Rod, Checky, Fetter, and U.S. and Canada folks, that's great. Along with that, there are these other areas that, that I touched on real quickly. Rich, do you want to introduce us to some of the most important working groups that, that are a part of the, the Node Project now? Okay, putting me on the spot to enumerate working groups. Um, <laughs> the entire list, everyone, soup to nuts. <laughs> actually, I'm just going to pretend that you asked the question I actually want to answer, which is what do working groups bring that wasn't there before? Nice. You know, and, and you and Jeremiah have been around this, you know, been around Node longer than I have, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that in the past, you know, everybody involved in the project were basically coders. And even now, you look at the TSC and, and the way you prove your worth and, and join the TSC, I guess, is an unspoken requirement, perhaps, you know, seems to be a, a certain amount of code contribution. And working groups sort of acknowledge that maybe that's not the whole story, that there's a lot going on that is not necessarily code. There's a documentation working group, and you don't have to be a coder to join. You don't have to have contributed code to join. Anybody with sufficient good faith and interest can join and make a positive contribution to the project and sort of be a part of the project, collaborate with others on the project. And, you know, there's the build working group, you know, sets around infrastructure, of course, and, well, not necessarily infrastructure, but you know what I mean. And so... Um, some of the working groups get kind of arguably weirdly specific, although not if you sort of think about it or, or observe them for a little bit. So there's a smoke test working group, which is focused specifically on, we already have continuous integration, but how do we smoke test with, you know, I mean, the, the primary focus initially is installing NPM modules so that we don't break the ecosystem. Yeah, and I mean, some some working groups, it's definitely fine for them to be very specific because if there's something that everyone wants to talk about that's you know very specific like postmortem debugging or tracing or something they can form a working group around that it doesn't need to necessarily be like a TSC officialized working group but they can spin something up and we can even give them a repo if they need it and you know they can have like a meeting and 
feed information back into us at like collaborator level that might not have the time to, to like go and get this extra information. So there's definitely that. Rich, you talked about joining the TSC and collaborators and like code contributions. Interesting fact about my onboarding, I was the first person to be on board as like a collaborator, not not TSC member at that point, but collaborator mm-hmm. who didn't have any code contributions. I think still the only one because Dominic's had code contributions, but we also onboarded Dominic as a Node.js collaborator, not necessarily based on his code contributions. So that's like definitely a possible thing if you want to like work on docs or issue tracker stuff. Like contributing code to core is not necessarily for for that sort of thing, so long as you're helpful and and understand like the process was we have you know partially around getting code but also other contributions into core yeah that's really good to hear and kind of kind of my impression that that was something that had shifted with node forward and whatnot i don't know that it's been made explicit anywhere but i don't i don't necessarily know that it needs to be i do also want to make sure that we mention one of the things that took off with working groups if i recall the history correctly was just michael rogers or someone sort of put out a call for translating all the iojs stuff or at least the website or something into into various languages and like out of nowhere there were like 17 or 20 different languages that just sort of happened over like a week and a half or two at least that's my recollection somebody correct me if i'm being overly i think like something like eight or nine happened overnight (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was pretty amazing yeah definitely definitely a great moment Tell me a bit about, both of you are very involved in issue tracker testing. You know, talk to me a bit about that surface area. Jeremiah, do you have any idea, even you know, approximation, about how many issues are submitted every day on the Node.js project? On the Node.js project, so it's a little bit hard to tell right now because we're in a transition be- period right, between right. the joint slash node repo and IOGS. It's definitely picking up more because more issues are finding their way to the new Node.js slash Node repo, which mm-hmm. was previously the IOJS repo. It, it's not entirely unmanageable. From like sort of experience and like, I don't know if it's like personal preference or something, I definitely think like having people deal with issues rather than bots is better. I know we tried back right, what was the that beginning came, of IOJS. Bots? made a thing. It wasn't bad or anything, but it just it's just not as effective as like having actual people, you know, look at these things and respond to these things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people are a lot more receptive when actual people, you know, right. respond to their things. Absolutely. So there's definitely that. So there's definitely a lot of need for help in managing the issue tracker. Rich, what about writing tests? I know you're passionate about this. Yeah, uh, I think for someone who wants to sort of learn the code base, you'll hear people talk about how there's really only one person who truly understands how the streams code works, and even that person doesn't actually understand it. And those sorts of things can kind of make the approaching the code base a little bit intimidating, especially if, you know, say, I don't know, your C++ is kind of rusty or whatever, and so on and so forth. And so tests really provide a really awesome, gentle introduction to, to the code base because, you know, you find a flaky test or a test that has a problem or, or something that you don't think there's a test for, and you write the test, and there's there's a million benefits to this. Like for for one thing, you know, in tests, if you're writing code in core, 
you have to match the style around, you know, the style of, of core. And there are a lot of conventions that are enforced by the ES lint rules, but there are also sort of just conventions that you just sort of have to understand by reading the code. And if you're new to it, that can, you know, I don't know, that can be a little, a little much, but maybe, but in tests, the style is totally lax. You want to use promises in tests, you go use promises in tests. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to complain about that. Hopefully if you use promises in core, people might say something, you know, you know, in tests, you know, you can choose what it is you're testing is a functionality is it benchmarks is it you know whatever you're passionate about so you sort of just like get to learn just a little sliver of of the core code base it's whatever it is you're testing you don't actually have to understand the 150 other files that surround it you just need to worry about the one two three or four files that you're actually you know testing the functionality of and there are so many places where there's a need it, it sort of becomes obvious when you start looking like i said there's the flaky tests there's to-dos and fix-me's littered throughout the code that kind of are like, oh, there ought to be a test here. Pretty much every issue that's legit that someone opens probably needs a test. And it just really, you know, it's just way less intimidating to just sort of focus on one little part of the code and really, really learn it. And tests allow you to do that. That's my spiel on tests. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Great. Like, well, <laughs> tests also, like, really, they just play into, like, almost everything with, like node core and code nowadays again like our testing is probably it's probably the best it, it's ever been because like we have more people that are working on these tests and improving them and like the build working group has for, from hardware donations that that um either companies or in the case of our arm machines so like raspberry pis and i think we have like some beagle bone blocks and stuff in there those arm machines are largely donated by individuals, but the rest of the CI hardware, like continuous integration suite, is donated by companies. So like we have lots of Linux boxes and we have Windows machines and whatnot to test code on. It's really been great that we've been able to have better tests and like also this build working group have, having Jenkins set up so we can continuously or almost continuously run all those tests against all these platforms and we've been able to find a lot of, of things to fix and have fixed a lot of things from that. So that's really great. And it's really fun to sort of be able to put names to some of these things. Like we know that, you know, SiegeBot donated one of the Raspberry Pis. And we know that NodeSource hosts the, the continuous integration. So there's my not so subtle shout outs. <laughs> Thanks. No, it's, it aligns with that general spirit of, of contributorships in helping in the foundation and in the advisory board, the various members that are, that are you know, more familiar with other open source projects. It's a, you know, a unique particularity of the Node.js project where there are you know, corporate interest presence, but there are just as much individual interest present. And Siege is an employee of NPM Inc., but her contribution of the Raspberry Pi is personal contribution. It's, it's contributed as a you know, Raspberry Pi hacker and someone who happens to be passionate about that level of hardware. And you know, she's contributing that as a, an individual, you know, having the company and having the resources to be able to contribute some of that inf infrastructure. You know, NodeSource is able to contribute in larger, more expansive ways because of the company behind it. It's really exciting, and I think it's unique and a compelling aspect of, of the Node.js project. All right, let's break real quick, and we'll come back and dive into onboarding. We're going to have a word from our sponsor, And Yet. And Yet Conf is happening October 6th to 8th. 
The goal of AndYetConf is to assemble the diverse developers and doers pushing forward the bleeding edge of the web. The team at AndYet puts their entire creative, wild, risky hearts into it, hoping to inspire the community to help bring open communication to the open web, using storytelling, theater, music, and multi-sensory design to create a once-in-a-lifetime experience. For tickets, call for speakers, sponsorship info, and more, go to andyetconf.com or check out AndYet's blog at blog.andyet.com for updates. Okay, and we're back. Let's talk about onboarding in, in detail and specifics. Jeremiah, you were saying you were the first onboardee by Chris Dickinson. Why don't you walk us through what you did to onboard into the project, and let's dive a little bit deeper into the project details around onboarding and touch on some of the stuff that came up at NodeConf. Just to clarify, I wasn't actually the first person like onboard as a collaborator, but like I was in one of I think like the second group. There was like two groups for the like the first sort of onboarding time. Yeah, it's currently like sort of me and Chris Dickinson that do this onboarding thing. Let's back up for a second because I wanted to address something earlier that I didn't quite. Rich had a, a question or like a comment that he didn't really know what was required to be onboarded. There's not like a document that says you need to write X lines of code, and there's not something that says you need to to help out in this very specific way. We kind of take it on like a case-by-case basis. We like actively look for people every once and so often who are like being helpful in this context, like around core so that we can, you know, add collaborators in that way. But like also if you were to feel that if you were doing stuff and, and you didn't get that invitation and you, you felt like you should be invited, I think it's written down somewhere that that's something you can do. You can actually like ask us like, can can you onboard me? And and then we would look at what you'd done and be like, you know, do we feel like you're ready or like can we help you get more to that point? And and we would we would do that. So so that's definitely a thing. I don't know that I specifically said that, but I probably said something that sounded like that. It's always been my impression that that the TSC nominates new collaborators based on just kind of like whoever they think has contributed to the project, and that I, I've I've never felt that it's been code based, and it's been done in the open in the GitHub issue tracker for as long as I've watched it. And there's even like a comment put in there like, "Feel free to nominate yourself" or something along those lines. So that's been really fantastic. Do you want to dive into some of the the onboarding? steps and details that were discussed at this year's NodeConf? I actually don't remember all what was discussed at NodeConf. There's there's issue threads for it somewhere. <laughs> but like, <laughs> go to the show notes and check out issues 233 and 234 in the Node.js last node issue tracker. Right. Those links are from, well, those links are historically where IOJS onboarding started. So it contained like information that's it's relevant to like why we do onboarding, and like for people that that don't know the the onboarding that we're talking about is specifically like once we talk about onboarding someone, we schedule to get like a couple people together to do a call that's like about forty five minutes. Where we'll actually run through like everything about landing commits and dealing with the issue tracker and you know running the continuous integration suite. And stuff with those with those people, so that they they have a deep understanding and can have and can ask questions directly. Something that came out of the Node.js Collaborator Summit, and 
great moment to, to bring folks together from around the world and, and talk about the future of contributing to the, the project and what, what does it mean to be a collaborator and how, how can we improve that process. One of the things that I'm most excited about came out of that is a initiative uh, through the foundation that's, that's going to be called Code and Learn. Not too much detail we can share about that, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. If you're interested in getting involved in the Node.js project and contributing more to the Node.js project, keep an eye out for that. And you'll, you'll probably want to raise your hand to invite core contributors to come and, and visit your town and uh, kick off the initiative there too, to contribute more and, and to find the area that works best for you to, to contribute to the project. As we look at the future of onboarding, setting aside some of the stuff that's been discussed and the historical baggage, what does the future of, of onboarding look like? Rich, you want to start that since you're the most removed from that, but also you know, one of the, the individuals who's most positioned to influence that and change that? So I don't know what the future of onboarding looks like, but I do think the code and learn stuff might give us a, a decent clue as to sort of how onboarding might evolve. But one of the things about the code and learn, one key piece about it is that the intent is to make it easier to contribute to parts of Node where we are having trouble getting contributors. So for example, this might not be a great example, but elements of interfacing with LibUV or V8 that may be not obvious from documentation and would require, you know, some pretty deep, you know, use the source Luke magic to kind of figure out. You know, the idea is to get somebody like, you know, Trevor or Ben or whoever knows knows these sorts of things together with people who, you know, may already be contributing to Node or maybe aren't contributing to Node, but but have the right the right skill sets, the right sets of knowledge to sort of you know, attack these darker corners where stuff may not be happening as quickly as we'd like because there just aren't enough people who understand it. Sort of a robust onboarding would have that along with, you know, the more gentle introductory kind of onboarding that we usually think of, or at least that I usually think of when we talk about onboarding, which is also extremely important. It's very important that the project be welcoming and a, a sort of not be a project where you're going to submit a, your first pull request and get yelled at kind of thing. I think it was sort of an important feature of onboarding and just generally like learning how parts of node core work is going to be um, work that the documentation working group is working on. So like in the past, the only real, yeah, I, th I think like basically the only real docs that node has had is like the API documentation. And there's been a lot of stuff that like just specific people know or there's probably even stuff that's like been like half forgotten and whatnot just like about how specific details work and the documentation working group is working to provide a place where we can actually kind of get that stuff down and you know on paper so people can read it so that a we don't forget it and b you know other people can learn it and then provide that in like a more formal way rather than it just being like you know specific people that n know all these crazy things or like sort of know them because they knew about them years ago or whatever <laughs> so uh, i think that'll help a lot yeah one little detail there if you haven't visited the node.js docs recently they're really really improved even just you know the english language docs through the iojs process were greatly improved got a lot of 
a lot more robust documentation there. You know, more balance between there were moments in the documentation where it was like, you know, super, super high level and then, oh my God, really, really deep. <laughs> sort of, uh, leveling that out between the, those uh, dual needs. Rich and Jeremiah, thank you so much for sharing you know, the process and details of the TSC and Node Core and you know, the future of onboarding and collaborating with the Node.js project. It's a time where we plug something. Rich, you want to get started with the, the plugs? Sure. I have two things I want to plug. I'm writing a rock opera based on James Kachalko's Johnny Boo books. It doesn't exist yet, but it's going to be amazing. I guarantee it. So it's worthy of a plug. You are welcome. The other thing I want to plug is actually Node pull request number 2609. It requires, you know, a looks good to me, an LGTM from a Node collaborator. If you would like to help eliminate flaky tests, this is a pull request you can believe in. That's pull request 2609. Once again, that number is 2609. Go approve it. Now, this is a podcast, so you can't see that I'm not looking at anyone in particular when I plead this pull request case. So I want listeners to know that if you could see us, you'd see that the person I wasn't looking at in particular was Jeremiah. <laughs> well played. Well played. You'll be able to find that and plus one that in the show notes. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, do you want to plug 2609? <laughs> what do you think about the issue 2609? <laughs> Go ahead, Jeremiah, with the plug. If you don't have time to necessarily dedicate to reviewing pull requests or issues or maybe even like code or anything like that, there's definitely like other ways to contribute and one of those is to donate a Raspberry Pi or a Beagle Blown Black or whichever ARM platform you prefer that we don't have in our continuous integration suite yet. And you can contact Rod Vag, we'll have an email down below for that. And the other thing was you know, contribute to Node Core. Like, this is actually an exciting period where, you know, if there's something you want in Core or something you think you can improve, you can actually come and at least even partially do that, and we will help you to be able to do the rest and, and get that stuff into Core. And I think it's Disha up next. All right. So, from, uh, from the halls of Node Source, we have a enterprise support product for you. If you're running Node.js in production, you need end support. Head to nodesource.com slash product slash end support, or just head to nodesource.com and you'll find it there. End support is enterprise class Node.js support for developers and IT operations. Nodesource, the enterprise Node.js company, offers three levels of professional support for enterprise customers designed to help you break through the barriers that can stifle your Node ambitions. Check out and support subscription plans and move your Node.js operations forward. All right, so some upcoming events and yet conf, me real-time conf is coming up in October, October 6th through 8th. CampJS 6 with the illustrious Tim Oxley is in Australia in November and JFCon Asia is back and it is in Singapore and it is November 19th through 20th. Thank you for listening to NoteUp. Please be sure to follow NoteUp on Twitter at NoteUp and some sponsorship opportunities are available for NoteUp. So send an email to noteup at gmail.com Thanks so much for listening. Great to be with you today. And Jeremiah and Rich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, all.